I am very excited for today's guest on No Fouls, and I patiently waited for about two months for the season to get done and to free up some time. Our guest, the all-time leading scorer for Vermont in girls basketball, a stellar collegiate career, now making her way in the coaching in Division One at St. Johnsbury Academy. Please welcome Jade Huntington. Wow. Well, thank you very much, Tom. It's a pleasure to be here. I've become certainly a fan of the No Fouls podcast. You've had some phenomenal uh, coaches and, and guests on, so it's been a it's been a pleasure to be involved. Thanks for asking. And I'm I'm going to have to look it up at some point, and I'll put it in the episode. I have to thank one of your girls' parents. Really helped lay a foundation for for getting <laughs> us in touch, and I very much appreciate it. Uh, so kind of starting out, obviously, everybody kind of knows you and your sister, but doing some research and talking to some people, your dad scored like 1,900 points at Bradford. Keep in mind, very much pre-three-point line. <laughs> This is true. This is true. Yeah, it's a bit of a bit of a basketball family basketball story for sure. My dad was a prolific athlete in his own right as a baseball player as well. He was a fantastic uh, catcher um, and trained many, many really good catchers and pitchers in the state of Vermont as well. But um, basketball, I think, um, was one of his was for sure one of his top loves right next to baseball um, and uh, was um, was definitely a, a really high scoring guard. Um, some would, would probably say he was scored as much as he did because he shot the ball as much as he did. We used to have some jokes about that for sure, but, um, yep. Back in the good old days of Bradford Academy, he kind of ruled things there, um, had a great career and, um, my sister and I, and my brothers were all lucky enough to have him, um, being as such a strong, uh, athletic role model as he was and a coach his entire life, um, he um, took great pride in being able to to get his kids involved in different aspects of athletics, but also the entire community around him. Um, but yeah, he was uh, one of the one of the leading scorers. So while it was never truly a conscious goal of mine, it did become fun when I beat his scoring record. But that was never really in my in my um, in my mind at the time. I feel like there's got to be some real competitive like Thanksgiving conversations between <laughs> you and him and your sister. <laughs> and my brother Ron yeah yeah there was lots of that very competitive family and my mom actually she was all of five foot nothing but uh, she was one of the most competitive tough-nosed people I've ever been around so we all came by our competitiveness um, honestly let's say that um, but yes the the Huntington family can be competitive at anything from go fish to uh, basketball to uh, you you name it there's sort of um we were never allowed to just just win. You had to earn it. You know, that was definitely kind of part of growing up, um, um, myself included with my older brothers. I always wanted to be where they were, whatever that meant. Um, they never took it easy on me. And I thank them for that every day because that helped shape who I was for sure. But um, yeah, very, very competitive family. My uncle Hank who was also a good athlete and a coach in his, his own time too. Um, so it was, it was uh, definitely the way that we were brought up is if you're going to play something, then play to win. I always like to ask, and let's take your dad on the side for now. Who was the first coach that really kind of had an impact on you? 
The first coach, you know what? Um, I don't think anybody would expect me to say this. And I will certainly um, talk about Mona Garone, who was very important in my life as well. But the very first coach that I remember being in my corner, no matter what, and giving me every opportunity was Dr. Mark Harris. He was a pediatrician that moved into town and um, became integrated into the youth sports kind of world. And uh, remember, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm up there in some years, Tom. So, right. But this is way back in the day where in my little area, there wasn't a girls basketball team and he was coaching the boys team. Um, and, and uh, my dad said, well, you know what, my daughter would like to play. And, and Dr. Harris didn't flinch in those days and was just like, well, absolutely. And so I was the only girl on the team. Um, he coached fifth and sixth and then some middle school ball too. Um, but I was, I was the only girl in that fifth and sixth grade. And we went to all these tournaments. I remember going down to the Hanover um, Christmas tournament and being down there. And again, I was the only girl in the gym playing against all these boys teams. And he was, um, he just never batted an eye at that time. It was about basketball and she, and I wanted to play and I was good enough to be out there with all of them. And, um, uh, you know, everything I even remember going to gyms. And of course I needed to change in a different space in a different locker room. And, and he was the, the consummate gentleman of making sure that everything was set up for, for me and my teammates were so supportive of all that. And that was a long time ago. Um, and I had that kind of support growing up. And so I will, I will forever remember Dr. Harris as being one of those special people because he just let me play the game that I loved um, and to do it at the best possible way that I that I could do it. In that case, it was growing up playing with boys for several years. Um, and then I was fortunate enough to have Mono Garone for four years in high school. Um, and anybody that knows anything about Vermont basketball knows knows about Mona. Um, and, uh, you know, she was fantastic in, in every way as a coach, as a role model, um, as just a tough-nosed competitor that didn't let anybody, um, you know, stand in her way of something that she thought people should do. And, um, yeah, she was always, she always very special. Uh, to me and, and followed my career even after I left. And any time that I would come back to Bradford, I would make a point to visit and, and find Mona. Um, so yeah, she'll always be near and dear to my heart. I'm going to, I'm going to ask you for some Mona stories, but I have to ask because clearly I was not there yet. Uh, this was before my time, but kind of asking, there was always a rumor that like with you, with your sister, when you're playing, you would kind of look over and you'd get something from Mona and then you'd look into the bleachers and your dad would be coaching you at the same time. Is that fact <laughs> or fiction? Oh my gosh, that is such fiction. That's hilarious. Um, but may, unless there was something that I didn't know was going on, um, I, that was actually one of the things um, that was that was special for me or not special, but was, was um, really supporting how well Mona supported me all through my career because right, my, my dad growing up in high school, it was tough, right? That was not an easy road all the time. Um, and he knew the game and he was a competitor. And of course he often thought he knew better than what anybody was doing, whether that was a referee or a coach out there. Um, and he wasn't afraid to say it. Um, and yes, he would yell and holler and scream sometimes from the, from the stands for sure. But when I was on the court, Mona was my coach. 
when I was in her gym, right? Um, it was dad's gym when we would play Sunday night basketball or in our backyard or, you know, when it was not with my high school team. But um, I was fortunate enough to be able to have that strong relationship with Coach Garone where um, she wasn't afraid of my dad. She would step up and say something to him and get him to be like, George, that's enough, right? Um, she's she's with me or I'm her coach, you know, that kind of thing. And so I would say that's way more fiction than it is true. Um, might there be some glances or eyes in the stands? That probably did happen for sure. Um uh, there probably was even a few times where I was telling him to be quiet. That was enough, just like just like she was, because we just wanted to play. In his heart of hearts, he was always doing it in 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 the nature of he wanted the best outcome for everybody that was out there. Um, but he was certainly very very vocal. But I, I never did he might have tried to coach me from the stands. But Mona was my coach um, when I was in those high school settings. The reality is, my dad actually never coached me as my coach with a team not for AAU, not for anything. And people probably find that hard to believe, but um, trust me, I spent thousands and thousands of hours with him in the gym, but it was never as my primary, primary coach. He coached my sister, but he never actually coached me because I played for some other organizations in AAU and my high school coach was always Mona. And then Dr. Harris was my elementary school coach. So how did that affect negative, positive, your relationship with your dad? You know, we talked to Uda earlier in the year and she talked about having to kind of after that separation kind of rebuild a new relationship well i can echo this echo the same thing sounds like we might have been cut from the from a similar cloth in that way so there was definitely some hard times um because he was he was tough and he um and he drove you to be the absolute best you could be and then when you thought you reached that he would raise that bar right um and that was tough as a as a young um high school uh, person but um over the years i certainly grew to appreciate that um in a whole different light and and very much knew that both things that he did as well as my mom's support and her pushing me also to believe in myself and do what i wanted not what somebody else wanted um helped me to be able to form who i really was um then and even now and there were some times where my dad and i we boy we really butted heads and would barely would barely speak unless it happened to be in passing at a basketball game sometimes so um, it was really, really tough. However, there was very few times where I would ever say, no, I didn't want to go to the gym. I had the same drive he did. I had the same passion for the game. Um, I wasn't as skilled, I don't think, as my sister was. In fact, I, I think I just worked at it. And, and that was one of my saving graces is that I loved the game and loved being in the gym and was willing to work till I couldn't work anymore to do the best that I could. And um, so dad and I had that in common. So while we butted, butted heads often, um, we also kind of saw things similarly and went after the same goals um, that way. And we both we both wanted the same thing, which is I wanted to go play Division One college basketball somewhere. And that meant that you had to get after it every single day. And had he not been as tough on, on me as he was, um, I'm sure I never would have made made it as far as I did. Um, but there were definitely times where I just wished he was just my dad and missed that as a as his daughter kind of thing. Um, and I swear, if it wasn't for David McGinn, uh, I might not have made it through through high school because he was a wonderful role model um, and father like figure even then. But he was really young back then. But um, he was just somebody that any student could come to. And we did 
you know, I think form kind of a special bond even back in high school because he was always a good ear for me when it came to my dad and any of those kind of struggles. And that it definitely helps any young person to have someone like that in their corner. So you make it, you're in high school and for three years, it's nothing but success and it's all victories and championships. And that's great. And I'm always curious, you know, Pat Riley always used to talk about the disease of more. You win one, then all of a sudden other players want to get their shine and numbers start coming into play. How did Mona keep everybody kind of head down and just focused on game to game and just kept it winning? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. He, uh, she, um, you know, I would call her like what we what we would say, you know, a player's coach. Um, she was really open with all of us. You you could go into her office at any time and have any kind of heart to heart. Um, she would be in your corner about school, about things going on at home, about what's happening out there on the court. Um, but she was a straight shooter. She told you exactly how she saw it. She told you what she what she um, expected of you. She told you what she expected of everybody else. Um, and so she I, I think it was because she was honest and direct and we just kind of knew where what the expectations were as as, you know, team year every year. Um, we all had one thing in mind that we wanted to be the best and we wanted to win. And we had good leadership amongst, um, you know, each year that I was there. Um, I think probably her best magic in my time frame um, was watching how well she intertwined myself and Elizabeth Burnham as freshmen going into um, to starting roles and huge roles in a program that had, um, you know, really, really good history already, good players, nice seniors, things like that. And so her magic of being able to develop team and team chemistry um, to be able to put the best people out on the floor to win. Um, and any coach knows this, that you can have a talented team, but if you don't have some chemistry that goes along with it, you usually don't end up going very far for very long. And I think that was probably one of her, one of her secrets that, and she just, she drove at us to, to, to play hard, work hard every single second you were out on the court. And, um, but she had a lot of fun with this. So, but once we walked in the lines in between those lines, it was all business. It was all work. But outside of that, um, you knew she really cared about you. And um, and she would do anything that to be, you know, to be in your corner and support you. I'm excited to talk to you about this. And when I knew we were going to talk, I recently in the last week and a half came into possession of the entire video library from the auditorium from about oh. 1986 to whenever NFHS took over in 1314. And when I knew we were going to do this, I'm like, I wanted to watch you play and I'm like, winning's easy to watch and it's fun. Let me watch the game that she lost in the championship. <laughs> oh, you're killing me, Tom. <laughs> I'll get past that part. But so I put in the 1988 division two championship with Randolph. Yeah. And first I must say, and this was, I watched this, a couple days after watching the two, three, and four girls championships at the auditorium. This was a few days ago. And I can say, like, honestly, I thought it looked more skilled in 1988 than it does in 2023. 
it looked fundamentally more sound and everyone made that kind of the extra pass and the mid-range jumpers were killer especially <laughs> for Randolph tell me tell me a little bit about kind of going into that game and what was a huge matchup with Jen Niebling yeah um, wow, you really are digging deep in the archives. I think I have all those games. They're buried in a in a special chest of mine on VHS tapes. So that must be what you watched it on is the good old VHS tapes. <laughs> I have them actually now on DVD and I'm in the process of putting them all on digital to kind of preserve the history and then I'll that's give them incredible. back. That's, that's really awesome. I'll have to go back and watch that. Cause that would be, that would be fun in some ways, but yeah, living, living that night over. Um, there's also this notorious picture out there of Mona and I on the bench. You probably have seen that. Um, I remember that feeling. I remember that moment even still to this day. Um, but that was an incredible basketball game in my memory, having not seen it ever again since the moment it was played. So that was a long time ago. It was just a constant battle all night long. Um, uh, Jen Niebling was tough, great player in her own right, really, really well coached team. I mean, Randolph was great. They were sort of that nemesis back and forth, kind of kind of opponent for us, our rival kind of, if you will. Um, so I remember that being a really intense game, just even going into it, right? And of course, everybody's talking about the undefeated years and the record. And, you know, there's a lot of talk around all that. Um, but to me, it was it was more in my mindset about I wanted that fourth chance. I wanted to win that championship. Yes, the undefeated seasons and things like that were important. And, you know, eventually that that came to an end, the no wins. But to me, it was always about winning the championship every single year, whatever it took. And yes, we won a lot of ball games every year along the way to get there. But so that final year, uh, we'd already, we lost the champion, the record had been broke, but now it's all about winning that fourth championship and to have four championships in a row. So um, it was a great game. It was intense. Uh, I remember Elizabeth and I both just being like, what else got to, we got to get thing. How, what do we got to do? Right. Cause, cause Randolph had answers for everything. Um, and they were playing, if I, as I remember it, like lights out shooting. And yeah. is that, is that correct? Yeah. <laughs> like just that's mid range all day. Yeah. Was it all uh, day, storm? There's a girl last name storm. Yeah. Just kick out and she would just knock down 15 footers. Yeah. All night long. In fact, you know, one of, one of the reasons we were as great as we were all four years was because of Elizabeth Burnham. She was also a great scorer, but she was a phenomenal rebounder. Well, if the the opponent is going to make all those shots, there's no rebounds for Elizabeth to get for us to go to the other end. So um, yeah, I just remember them having an incredible scoring night, no matter what we were doing. And we came up, we came up short, but that, that it was a great game. Um, I, I think that was one of my highest scoring games ever in my career, I think. Um, but I'm not 100% sure of that. And so, you know, scoring 40 points just wasn't enough that night, no matter what. And that was just because of how good the other side was. It also, it looked like you might have tweaked your ankle in the first half. but That's true. That's true. But that's okay, Tom. You, everybody plays through through those kind of things, right? Absolutely. That's what you got to do. <laughs> and you had mentioned that, your desire was always, you know, you wanted to play division one basketball. What was it? Well, how did Vanderbilt kind of hear about you and how did that come into play as opposed to, you know, a Vermont where Jen Niebling ended up going or, you know, someone somewhere kind of a little more close to home. 
So this is, um, I think this is a great kind of Vermont story in it, in and of itself, and not because it's about me, but because of how it did actually come about. Um, so I, I knew early on that I didn't want to stay close to home. Um, and my dad knows this, he knows that that was because I wanted, I wanted to get farther away. I wanted to be able to have my own experience and it not be kind of shadowed with, with him. Um, and I, I figured I needed to get a long driving distance or at least an airplane, airplane right away to be able to have it be that way. Um, uh, Inevitably, the distance I went didn't matter because I don't think he missed a single one of my college games, whether it was at Vanderbilt or on the road somewhere in those four years. He made just about every single ball game. And most of the time, wow. I didn't even know he was coming. I would just look up and we'd be in Iowa and he'd be like, hey, you know, <laughs> so um, he like I said, he was he was dedicated to us, to us kids and to me and to into the game of, of game that he loved. Um, but the way I ended up, so it started by just kind of, you know, slowly saying no to the perimeter of, of really good schools around here. Um, and that included UVM, um, like as, as much as that would have been really cool. It was also like definitely way too close to home. Um, UConn at that time, Gino was just getting things rolling down there. And I was like, Ooh, that's still really, that's great. I mean, Gino was going to be incredible. It's a great school, but still too close to home. And so I just started to really broaden my horizons out and started to look at, you know, where's the best basketball. Um, and, and I knew I didn't really want to go like all the way across the country. So I kind of focused on the, on the East coast. Um, and then um, there was, you know, again, because we were having a lot of success in, in the high school rugs, but I was fortunate enough to be on an AAU team that uh, we went to nationals. We became seventh in the nation that year. And we had uh, six, maybe seven division one athletes were on that AAU team. Um, and that was probably one of the places that, you know, your name gets out there and gets on a list, you know, the scouting services of back in those days. Um, so there was a tension around that team and us and how we were doing. Um but it was really came back to how Vanderbilt specifically got involved was a reporter. And you maybe know the name Buster only, you know, that yeah, name from I Randolph. Do. Yeah. So he was writing a sports writer for the Nashville banner. Um, and he came home for Christmas and came and watched one of the notorious Randolph Oxbow uh, matchups and he went back down and in a, in a chance meeting or maybe it was a letter. I can't remember right now. Um, he went to Phil Lee, who was the coach at Vanderbilt at the time and said, Hey, I got a player for you. You need to go to Vermont. So that's what got Vanderbilt specifically coach Phil Lee to come watch me play in AAU and then come up and watch a game and came and watched me play field hockey and things like that. So that's, that's how I met, met, the experience that all of Vanderbilt had to offer was really because um, was probably because Buster only threw my name out there and, and said that I, I was worthy of uh, coach Lee giving me a look. The baseball guy, a baseball guy at that. Yep. And we don't have to spend a ton of time necessarily on college, but you have this great run and you're in the tournament and making the sweet 16 and I think the Elite Eight one year. Yeah. Take us a little bit kind of in in that process. How does that kind of work come tournament time? Is it all kind of just chaos and you practice, practice, figure out who you're going to play? 
well, so all of the college experience is, is pretty intense, and you're certainly working the entire time about trying to be rise up in your conference and become the best you can in your conference, um, because that's one of the ways, that's one of the avenues, right, through the NCAA tournament is certainly your your um, your power ranking, your schedule, your the the whole season experience, um, but then placing yourself in the best position that you can to to be able to be in the tournament and, and you know the automatic bids and in that whole story, um, but it just just even watching you know most recently here with with watching the clips on the news of uh, the UVM boys and girls teams men's and women's teams watching uh, waiting for that moment for their name to come up and show and whatnot that that is as genuine and as an awesome excitement as it can be you kind of get an idea a little bit that you're going to be in but those bubble teams are not knowing who you're going to play that's really exciting for for any athlete because it's the pinnacle right it's what you want as an NCAA basketball player is you want to be uh, involved in March Madness um so it's definitely exciting. And the once you know who it is and where you're going, um, there's almost a little extra shift of focus of like, okay, now, right, it's win or go home. Every single minute now is win or go home. And so practices, um, I wouldn't say necessarily become more intense per se, because they were always intense, but the focus, the understanding of um, how much deeper we're going to dive into a scouting report, how um make sure you care yourself and getting rest and you know eating well and like all of those little things I think there probably was a little bit more uptick when it came to that point um but it really was you know the once you knew you were in and then you get you get the ticket and you knew the travel arrangements and all of that kind of thing the excitement and then when you arrive at whatever the site was um because back then it was always going of course to all the individual home home sites too um so we all, you are always at a disadvantage. We never hosted at Vandy for say, so you were, you were always going on the road. Um, but that was okay. Right. Yeah. That was just one more kind of hurdle in the, in the moment that you, you knew was there and, you know, you just had to come over, overcome whatever part of adversity that there was in front of you. And that was just, just one of them. Um, but winning that first game and then advancing and going on and going on and just the continued energy and excitement that goes around it. Um, I've gotten to experience that as a player and I've gotten to experience that as a college coach. Um, it's just, it's just a really, really special feeling to just know that you're one of the last few um, to keep ticking off people that are in front of you and just know that you're in that kind of elite group. Um, and I still remember that feel of the court. Uh, the elite eight game was at Virginia um, playing Virginia Um um, and they beat us, but it was just one heck of a knockdown drag out game. And um, I probably haven't been in any more of an electric kind of environment playing than that night. Um, it was so loud. You could feel the floor even kind of shaking. Um, it was such an intense, intense game and a great battle. Um, and I'm a senior at that point. And so it's, it's really win or go home, right? It's like, you do not want to let go of this experience and you're, you're one game away from getting the final four, the ultimate dream for, for a basketball player. Um, uh, and so that, that was pretty special. That will always be a really special moment in, in my heart for sure. Would you say the college experience and, you know, that, that drive, that's what you wanted. You wanted to be a division one player. Did it, did everything live up to the expectations you had in your mind? Yeah, absolutely. I would go back and do every part of it over again. Um, it did live up to expectation. Now, when I, when I went, when I did go and chose Vanderbilt, uh, that was another thing my dad and I were kind of at odds where he didn't want me to go to Vanderbilt. He wanted me to go to Florida or to North Carolina. Um, and I just didn't have the same feel when I went on my college visits um, as I did at Vanderbilt. The minute I went to Vandy, met everybody, was on the campus, um, that 
just felt right from the moment I was was there and I knew that's where I wanted to go. Um, and part of that was because I was really, at that point, you know, there wasn't any WNBA, there wasn't any playing beyond, right? I was looking for also where I could get the best possible education at the same time. Um, and Vanderbilt was definitely the perfect marriage marriage in my mind for that. Um, and it was a great experience for me academically as well as athletically. Um, even though I went through some coaching changes while I was down there, um, I'm really fortunate to have got that experience because yes, coach Lee, Phil Lee brought me down there and I had him for a couple of years, but then I had the good fortune of also having Jim Foster as my coach, my senior year. And I learned so much in that one year um, of just about being a good human being and being, you know, and dealing with life's toughness, things that just get thrown at you and the adversity that comes at you and how sports can help you manage that. Um, but just how you're always, um, always ready to be at your best. And um, that was all because of the the college path that I chose that I got to have those, those kinds of experiences. And then I got to stay there and coach and be a grad assistant and learn even more um, and had phenomenal role models like Camry Etheridge, who was a Kodak All-American that played um, from Texas. And, and, you know, so I got to be around some great people, some phenomenal coaches um, and stay in a game that I love. Um, and had my entire education paid for right on through my master's program. So I was at Vandy for six years. Um, and I, there's just no way that I could rewrite that to be any better of an experience than it, than it was. I never thought I would become a college coach that just kind of unfolded that way. And I'm glad that it did. As you transition into that coaching path, and you're still there, and obviously college basketball famously goes into March. Did you get to enjoy at all kind of or see the success your younger sister is having, or are you kind of getting the news clippings? Uh, so you're talking about while she was playing in yes. high school while I was coaching in college. Yeah, that was that was hard. So um, I did not see many live games because it was in direct conflict for sure. Um, and there's seven years between Jazzy and I. So right. that, that's a long time. Right. Um, but uh, I do remember showing up and surprising her when she, they were playing at the odd. Um, she didn't know I was coming back and um, just kind of, kind of pulled one of my own dad moves, I guess. And just, just all of a sudden she popped in and showed up in the stands. Um, I remember that being a real special, special moment um, her senior year. So no, it was really more about listening and hearing the stories, calling her and talking about it, what it was like and how she was doing. Um, and yeah, so it definitely missed the the live action of it and being able to have that feel in the gym, watching her all the time with all of her success. Uh, that was unfortunate because I was living so far away and couldn't get back. Um, you know, being in basketball is not very forgiving for traveling during Thanksgiving or uh, or even right. Christmas. So, um, but saw the games that I could when I was back for the holidays, but but then um, made a, made a point to make sure that I didn't miss their games at the odd. So you do transition in to coaching and was that kind of just a natural progression from playing and like you said there's kind of nowhere to go yeah was it kind of okay I'll do that or well I'm staying and I'm going to get my master's and this kind of lets me stay connected to the game yeah so I so I stayed and got my master's um and I'll tell you it was really hard being a grad assistant and letting go of the fact that I could only have an impact on the floor at that point as, as a coach or as a practice player. Um, it was hard to transition to coaching from playing. Um, I, 
I guess part of that competitive nature, but just the just the love of the game. I love the intense factor of the game in the co- at the college level. Of um, I mean, gosh, I I had a great high school career and really appreciate everything that I was able to do here. But transitioning my whole game to the college level, I kept I can't became a completely different type of player. Um, I was a true point guard in college. I wasn't a scoring point guard, right? I um, I was all about my my defense and my and, and and being the coach on the floor and running the team and the and the assists and all those sort of things. A very different kind of game um, than what I grew up with in in the high school world. And so. Um, having it be such a successful career in my eyes of doing as best as I could at the, at the college level, I really didn't want it to end. Um, so transitioning to coaching was the best way to stay connected to the game, but it was hard to let go of it as a player. But again, Jim Foster, Cammie Etheridge, um, they, they helped me transition of how you could become um, a great coach from having been um, a, a good player. Um, and so they taught me a lot in that, but then I've kind of felt like, you know, I don't know if I'm done. And so I went over to Germany for um, a, a spell in the, in that, that, that summer after my master's program finished. Um, and I only stayed over there about a month. It really wasn't, wasn't for me, but that was my, my little short spent of um, trying the professional game over there. Um, they decided they'd rather spend their money on a, you know, a six, five um, girl from Germany than they wanted to spend any money on a, you you know, a five foot something point guard. So um, I came back to the States and I got a phone call from Ada G who was the assistant coach at, um, at uh, Vanderbilt, who just got the head coaching job at a university of Nevada in Reno. And she at that time was looking for what was called the restricted earnings position in coaching um, at the college game. And I was like, yeah, I think I want to do that. So I packed my car up with my dad. We drove across country and, um, you know, just over to the 24 hours, 48 hours, whatever it took for us to drive straight across. And I started my career in coaching um, at that point at University of Nevada in Reno um, and then continued to, to coach in the college game um, until I decided to get out when when I had my first daughter. Did Jazz's uh, going to Nevada, did that intersect with you? It did actually intersect. So, um, and against my better advice, I consider it better advice because I think she should have took it at the time. But <laughs> my advice at the time was for her to not come to Nevada, you know, while I was while I was there, because um, at that point, I'd really set my sights that I was going to be a college coach and I was going to take it as far as I could um, and hoping to have my own program someday. And so I I didn't have any idea how long I would stay at University of Nevada, Reno. Um, I'd already been there a couple of years and then um, and then she was in the recruiting ranks. And uh, I told her then I was like, so if a great opportunity comes up, I I'm not going to pass up on that even if you're still here. So I need you to want to come here because you want to be at University of Nevada, Reno. Don't come out here because I'm here. Um, we had lots and lots of conversations about that, um, but she liked the school. She liked um, Coach G, which lots of players does. She was another player coach kind of personality. Um, and so I could see why she would like to like to have been out there. Um, also get her, gave her a chance to kind of get get a long ways away from home. And uh, she was probably way more of a West Coast kind of girl than I was. I was way more of an East Coast kind of girl. So um, so she decided to come out there. And right after her, her first year, the opportunity came up with Tom Collin called me at Colorado State University. And um, I was like, oh, that absolutely is where I want to go. I'd love to live in Colorado. I'd love to work under Coach Collin. He was a coach at Arkansas when I was in the SEC. So I knew him and knew him from that. Um, 
And so I, so I left and, and went to, went to Colorado and she completely understood at the time. And we had talked about all that. Um, but then she also, it, it, I think it was hard for her to be out there without me. And that's what led to her transferring back, back to the East coast. So as you kind of move around and you mentioned so many great names, how important if you're going to be successful or a, a good coach is the fact that you're always learning and trying mm-hmm. to get, you know, ideas and philosophies from anywhere and everywhere. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's critical, right? I, I, and really, I would say it doesn't matter what level you're coaching at. Um, you're always wanting to better yourself. Um, you can't really stand in a gym with, um, with players and be asking them to work on their game without you doing the same. Um, so I take that, I take that to heart. I take that to heart with whatever level that I've been involved in. Gosh, I've, I've, I've coached everything from kindergarten, um, to, uh, to professional women. So it it doesn't matter what the, what the level is. There's always something to be learned and there's a different way, um, to do all kinds of things. I've always, I've always said this to, to many, to many people is that there's a lot of ways to be good at this game. There's a lots of ways to win, um, at this game. And that's evident to just, you know, turn on the TV right now and watch it, watching games being played and how many different ways it can be played. Um, and, so there's so much to be learned. There's some, there's something to be learned from the pros, from the college level, from the high school level, from um, men's basketball or boys. There's just things to be learned everywhere. And um, there's, there's very few probably even original thoughts out there with the game, right? I mean, everybody's kind of stealing from everybody at, at one point or another. Uh, that's the fun of it. I love to be a, this time of year is there's just nothing better than March Madness when you can turn the TV on and always find a great basketball game um, to, to watch. I like it way more than any professional basketball there is. Um, and I watch the bench and I watch the coaches at probably just as much as I'm watching what's going on on the floor. Um, cause there, there's just something to be learned, uh, everywhere. It's a pleasure to be around, um, watching it or being able to sit in the same room or in the same gym and just watch, um, good, good coaches going to work. Um, I, I enjoy that. I've always enjoyed that. Um, being able to just, I, I love to sit in on people's practices, um, probably as much as watching a game. Um, that's, that's fun to me, right? I could be in a gym all day. So what kind of eventually brings you back to Vermont? Well, it's a little, little bit of a sad story, but, um, so my, my mom, um, passed away in a car accident in, uh, 2006. My dad followed in a different car accident on two, in 2009. And I've been back here ever since, um, helping my brother and my family, um, to kind of settle, settle, uh, uh, family matters in the state and things like that. Um, however, even though that was the final catalyst that got me back here, I actually had been wanting to come back to Vermont, um, ever since I had my, my first daughter, um, just because I, I, I'm a Vermonter at heart. I loved growing up here. Um, and it just sort of has always been a special place. Nothing was better than, than being able to come home. Um, even though I lived away for so long. Um, and so I was really kind of looking for ways to come, to come back here. Um, and, um, it just kind of never quite, quite worked out. And then I was, um, you know, and then unfortunately getting that, getting that phone call, that night in June in 2009, just completely turned life around and been like, it. I just need to be home. And that's just all there is to it. So um, packed up and left uh, Colorado at that time and, and uh, haven't, haven't left since. Um, and I'm, 
you know, really sorry that I never came back sooner to actually have that time in Vermont with my family, with my parents mm-hmm. and with my children. I wish that would have would have happened. But um, it's been great to be back here. Um, and, you know, Dave McGinn it was critical in helping me get settled when I got back here. I, call, I remember calling him and just being like, so what does somebody do if they want to get involved in, in a high school setting? <laughs> what, what's the path? What's the avenue? Um, and he was like, well, it's funny you should call because as a matter of fact, um, we're in need of some things down at Thetford Academy. We should talk. And that's how I kind of got into back into the high school realm um, is starting here with him um, uh, down at Thetford Academy. We talked to... Uh... Sid Sweet, and he talked about what just a student Coach Ward was. And if, you know, when Williamstown and Thetford were going head-to-head, it seemed like every year, if Thetford wasn't playing and Williamstown was, no matter where it was, Coach Ward was sitting on the other side. Yeah. And he said, and you take that and you add it to Coach Huntington coming in, and it seemed like Thetford moved kind of to a – to another level. Tell me a little bit about kind of that relationship with coach Ward and how working together came to be. Yeah. Um, oh, coach Ward, what another dear, dear, dear person. Um, so when I got to Thetford, um, I started there uh, as athletic director um, and then ended up helping and supporting um, the basketball program, which was easy to do is, you know, there's no better person or no easier person to, to work with or sit next to than, than Eric Ward, because um, he is that consummate person that is just all about what's best for kids. Um, and he too just loves to be in the gym, loves to learn, loves to study the game. Um, and at that point, when we had started crossing paths, he was, I think he was still developing a lot in his mind as what, what kind of coach did he really want to be? What was going to be the best for, um, the, the Thetford girls that he had coming through the program at that time. And so we had a lot of conversations back and forth about what, what would work, what isn't going to work. Right. Cause if you're, if you're not as a coach thinking about just the team that's in front of you, as opposed to what you want to do. Um, if those, those are two real big disconnects, you, you've got to, in my opinion, um, know the players that are in front of you and then tailor things to them. You can't force it, uh, just because you want to, you know, play a certain level of offense or defensive schemes. Um, it just might not work with the personnel that you have for whatever reason. So you've got to be, um, adaptable and always willing to learn and change. Um, and so coach Ward and I had lots of conversations about what we thought was in, was in front of us in terms of personnel. Um, and he was like, well, Hey, you know, you, we should do this together. Right. And I was like, I agree. We should just do, let's just do this together. And so we sort of became like, you know, this was, you know, you're the head coach, but we kind of co-coached everything through practices and in games and whatnot while we were there. Um, and I actually, Eric and I used to joke about this a little bit. I mean, he could get fiery on the sidelines, but he was way calmer of a personality than, than I was. And so, um, sometimes I'd have to say to him is like, you're going to have to get into them a little bit. Like they're, they're not hearing you. They're not, they're not totally receptive to what's going on. You're going to have to get into a little bit. And sometimes when he would try, we would, he would chuckle and he'd be like, was that, you know, was that fiery enough? <laughs> and as I watched him after I left, I'm like, he had no trouble getting all fiery. He really grew into, into his, his own personality and that it was okay to show that emotion. Right. I think he always had it in him, but I think he kind of was reserved a little bit. Um, so I feel like that's one of the things that Eric and I uh, kind of came to terms on together was that, um, 
that passion and emotion is okay to let that out there. Um, when the kids know you care about them, um, they know where it's coming from and, and and they respond and they react to it well. Um, and then we just would talk back and forth a lot about what, what schemes and what things would really, would really work. Um, and we were lucky with a great group of girls who loved each other and loved being in the gym. Um, and they wanted, um, they wanted a championship run. Um, and so they were willing to work for it. They put the time in, in the off season. Um, and, and both Eric and I, particularly Eric, even more so at that point, he would, um, have that gym open for them at, at a drop of a hat, anytime that they wanted to be in there. And that was really a difference maker was purely the time that he was always willing to put in. He loved the game. He loved making good things happen for, for kids. Um, and as a result, he had a really, really successful run and, and sadly was uh, far too short because he would have continued to do a lot of great things um, um, down there at the Academy. Absolutely. And we heard it a few episodes when we had coach McGinn as you kind of you follow him through, and you end up at St. Johnsbury, and you're following up a legend in his own right in Jack Driscoll. Is that hard to kind of come in? The saying is always you don't want to be the person that follows the legend. You want to be the person that followed the person that followed it. <laughs> yeah. But Yeah, I've definitely heard that one. Yeah. Um, so – was it hard? It, it wasn't hard necessarily to follow, follow Jack. Um, I mean, granted, he had a phenomenal, phenomenal run here, phenomenal career and invested his whole time, uh, his whole life to, to the Academy for so many years. I'm not even exactly sure how many years it was, but um, he's a, he's a true hilltopper in and out from, from sports wise to his roles at the, his roles on campus in the Academy. Um, so you know, there was all, there's always a, there's all the day always comes in every, in every coach's career, right. Where, where it's time to step away. And, and I don't know, um, you'd have to ask, have to ask coach Driscoll, but I, you know, COVID happened. Um, and that, and maybe Jack was toying with the, you know, when it was time to kind of step away. Um, he'd been doing it for, for a lot of years, of course. Um, but when COVID hit, he just decided that, you know, if we were going forward with sports that that wasn't going to be, that was probably going to be it for him. Um, so I, I inherited that team that COVID year um, just a couple of weeks before the season. So it was not a plan for me to, to right. my, in my own mind, even let alone, it was not a plan for me to, you know, start coaching necessarily here at, um, at the Academy. Um, I moved up here to the Academy because it's a phenomenal institution that provides an outstanding education with so many choices um, for for young people. And I had had three girls who had very, very different interests. And I saw that coming as they were young. So I kind of changed my career path and, and left my, our home down in, in Bradford to move up here um, just to provide the opportunities for my three girls. And um, uh, thankful every single day for uh, for Dave again and, and for the folks up here offering me that opportunity to be here to uh, give the life that I've been able to for for my kids. Um, and it just kind of the basketball piece ended up falling in my lap. I've got to start here as athletic director and then I've been working on other sides of campus here. Um, love sports, love being around them. But as we all know, it also takes a lot of time to be able to do that. And that's hard to do with a single mom with three girls. I didn't want to miss anything of, of theirs, but it just kind of unfolded where um, my daughters right now are my, my oldest has graduated and, and is in college up in Maine. And um 
she had been done and she played with under Jack and my two twins, the youngest one, um, one loves to play and the other one loves being around it. And so I happen to be coaching one of my daughters and my other coach, my other daughter is one of my right hands as our manager with the, with the team. And so um, the first question was asking them was like, how do you feel about mom coaching? Right. Because it's not, it's not always an easy path when you're coaching your own kids or around yeah. your own kids um, in an athletic setting. And they were like, we think it'd be great. And I said, okay, then we're all in. And um, so that's how I ended up. Like literally Jack decided it wasn't, um, wasn't in the cards for him as COVID was starting and, and the academy needed a coach and happened to be that there was one right on campus. So when they asked, I was like, oof, okay. Um, yeah, right. I love this game. I love this school. Um, and I had been invested in the youth program around here, supporting that for years. Ever since I'd been up here, I was coaching in the youth um, just to try to develop and, and support the the athletic and basketball programs around here. You got to do it at, from the youth levels. Yeah. So um, coached at the elementary schools and I was doing some AAU things with some kids. And that meant I was going to have all those youth kids that I'd been working with. They were going to be with me at the high school setting. Um, so that was another real good reason to to kind of take the reins at the time. Kind of going back to what we discussed earlier. Can you appreciate the fact that right now you're kind of the Randolph trying to take out the unbeaten, <laughs> you know, CVU with the modern day Mona? Wow. Uh, no, I haven't really thought about that, Tom. So that's that's interesting. Um, you know, it's all it's always funny what the perspective is for being in it versus the outside perspective looking in. Uh, which is why it is so fun to talk to people and and see what people are are thinking. Uh, um, you know, as they're, I, I I like and I and Dave mentioned this in in his podcast. I, I heard I listened to his, but um, you know, he's one of those people that has such an eye for the game, and he has a phenomenal touch with with young people all the time. And um, I value his perspective from that. He always calls it the the five thousand level um and go to him a lot with just like all right i'm not going to talk i just want to hear from you what do you think what do you see or here's a scenario um and he's just straightforward and honest right and that is in invaluable um but to your point this <laughs> this perspective like i have so much respect for um for uta when i when i came back to Vermont. It wasn't really on my radar until I came up here to St. Johnsbury Academy, even though I knew of CVU and knew of her success. When I came up here, of course, it's all about the Metro and that's the conversation all the time. Right. Right. Um, And um, started really paying attention and watching and listening to, to how did she build what she's built. Right. Um, And it, and it's phenomenal. And it goes back to what, what every coach wants. And that is, you want to, you want to build a program that everybody wants to be involved in and has, and is passionate about. And she has done that. Um, and she's done it by building from the youth right on up. And she creates a system and a family um, within that within that gym that everybody wants to be a part of and is willing to put their heart and soul into. Um, and uh, I feel like that's me as well. Like I, I want that for anybody or any place where I'm working um, with it with the team is I want them to to raise the bar for themselves constantly to be able to get to whatever that ultimate goal is. And it's different for different kids. It's different Mm -hmm. in high school than it is in college, right? We all have our day when, um, when your sport is not your sport anymore. And it's just at a different time and a different part of your life. Um, um, Mine happened to end after, after college. Nowadays, 
players can go on and and keep having their, their sights set on that next level all the time. Um, and I think Uta has just developed a program over there um, and it hasn't been easy road for, for her ever. I'm sure um, she might have a, a bigger school or things like that to work with, but um, she works it and she works hard at it. Um, it doesn't just, you know, kids don't just walk in the gym and they're great. Right. Um, it has everything to do with what she has built. Um, and she knows this game. She loves this game and she puts her heart and soul um, and a lot of work into making it great all the time. And so um, I, I applaud her for the continued uh, opportunities that she's providing for all the young women over there on that side of the state. And if I can do that on this side, then, then great, fantastic. Um, all, all the better. Um, the more, the more girls we can get in finding a passion and being involved with a team um, that that's just good for everybody. That's a win-win. All right. We'll get to some quick questions and then I'll let you go. And thank you for so much of your time. Give me one thing you took from your dad when it comes to coaching your kids that you used and one thing you said, I'm not quite going to do that. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. Um, I've always said actually with my dad in general that um, he was one of the best teachers I ever had because he taught me things I absolutely would never do and things that I would absolutely do. Um, And those teachers are, are invaluable because they're, they're teaching you life lessons no matter what. Um, so something I said that that I would never do um, would, you know, he would yell, scream, carry on sometimes uh, a little too much for the player that was in front of him. So I always kind of vowed that I would always know my players to the best of my ability um, and know what they can handle and um, coach them the way that they need to be coached, not coach them the way I want to coach. Um, cause I think those are, those are really different, different things. You're not going to get as much necessarily out of, um, a player in front of you. If you're only trying to do it your way, you got to know, you got to know your personnel, you got to know your people, you got to know them, know their heart, know their head, um, to be able to do the best by them. Um, and something that I've always said that I would do, um, is just, just to never, never quit. Right. That that was my dad to a T, whether it was business dealings or athletics, uh, being the underdog or being the top dog. Like he played and did everything um, with the extreme work ethic Um, and he had a lot of success because of it. And so that was just one of the modeling aspects that he showed is just how what what you know, what you can accomplish if you work hard. You can dream, but if you don't work for it it's not going to happen. And, um, he was definitely a dreamer, uh, but he never sat on the sidelines. He was always, always all in. Was there ever the Rocky versus Apollo dark room? Nobody's there one-on-one game with your sister when you were both kind of still in prime. Oh yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah, well, there's probably a few small family wars that got started because of some one-on-one games. And that would include with dad. So we all played one-on-one with my dad. Like that was the thing. Like once you could beat dad in one-on-one, then almost nothing else mattered when you walked into the gym on Sunday night basketball. You had won last Sunday and that's all that mattered at that point. We all were like that as kids is, is because he would, it, it, mind you, you had to beat him. He didn't let you win anything. So um, 
your, your hands might come out, you know, bleeding and in scratches and all that sort of thing. Um, but it was all for the, for the good of the game, we would say. Um, but yeah, there were some times where Jazzy and I really got into it. We laugh about it even still to this day that, you know, she wanted nothing more than to beat me. And by no means was I going to let my little sister, even though she was bigger than me, um, beat me on, on the court. And uh, so, yeah, we had some, we had a few knockdown drag outs. It got a little, got a little testy, got a little, got a little, a little physical, um, and I think, you know, we both had our share of, of share of wins and losses as we went through, but, um, it, it never happened without somebody going down with a fight. That's for sure. All in good fun though, Tom, it's all course. in good fun. <laughs> There's nothing quite like sibling rivalry. <laughs> Who was, stands out to you, if you can remember as the player that gave you the most trouble in high school, I don't know. Were you, did you cross pass with Nicole Levesque at Mount Anthony or did those? Yeah, no, we, I, we didn't really, we, I mean, crossing paths in terms of, of not playing, but yeah. just kind of out there, but it was more, more Jen Niebling would probably be yeah. the player that comes to my mind. It would really be Jen. Uh, she's a great player, great competitor um, in, in that time frame. Um, and we had some great, great, great games back and forth. Um so I, I think that would probably be the, the first player, person that comes to mind would be Jen. Olivec was one heck of a player. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Give me a couple of the best players that you've coached against here in Vermont. Oh, here in Vermont. Well, that's, that's tough. I've only been doing this a couple I know. Of that's years. why I said only a couple. That's tough. You know, so, you know, probably uh, this is to no, no offense whatsoever to some great post players that are out there. Like even, even right now, right. Playing with um, 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 Addie Hunter there from, from CVU, I thought had a phenomenal, phenomenal season this year. Um, But some guards really pop out in my, in my mind, like Paige Winters last year. I mean, she was phenomenal. What a shooter and just tough tough competitor right uh you know it took what a, ro- a broken ankle i guess it was or whatever that happened to her to finally take her take her down enough games but um she came back the very first day she healed from that and was draining six seven threes the the very first game back and you would have thought um she wouldn't even have the legs underneath her but um she was just pure pure heart and will um i i thought she she really caught my eye um um last year um i think um some of my first memory really would be with uh, Gilby from, from CVU. Um, uh, loved her, watching her game uh, even before I was coaching, but I loved her game because um, she was that consummate point guard. She could score, but she ran her team and she made everybody on that court better. Um, and uh, so, so, so probably, probably her. And I think Elise McDonough that plays for rice right now, I think she's a, an outstanding guard um, has lots of potential and still, um, still a big upside coming in her came in her game. I'm, I'd be interested to see um, how she continues um, her high school career and hopefully beyond. Finally, you're headed out to dinner. You can bring four coaches with you. Who do you want to sit down with? Wow. Four coaches that I would want to bring with me. So, you know, if I was thinking, thinking big um, and thinking college world, it would right away be Pat Head Summit and Tara Vanderveer um, because they're, they are, unbelievable uh, women head coaches that have just forged a path for, for women in coaching. Um, and for a lot of years, 
and uh, so good, just such good coaches, such good people. Um, and maybe in the new ranks within the college world, I would go with Don Staley, who I was fortunate enough to play against. And actually, she's the reason I did not go to Virginia because I knew I wasn't going to beat her out at the point guard position. So, um, but she has just been an unbelievable to continue to watch her career. I would love to sit down and listen to all of her stories from her Olympic days right on through to where she's at now at South Carolina. Um, and then Becky Hammond, who is near and dear to my heart. And I've been lucky enough to have been at many dinner tables with her, but she has so much to offer and so many more stories. And she is um, an, an unbelievable um, X's and O's player, a uh, coach now. And when she was a player of mine, um, she was just one of the best competitors I've ever been around. And uh, so to just see her marrying that together now in her, in her role. Um, but I got to say, there's a lot of really, really good high school coaches here that I would like to invite to that table and listen to uh, Uta, obviously from CVU, um, Nate from Rutland. I think he does a phenomenal job there. We, we, there's a lot of really good coaches yeah. um, in just in the Metro, let alone across the state and other divisions. Um, I've been really impressed with that here of just the, the level of, um, the level of coaching and strategies and, and things that coaches are putting together um, all around the state of Vermont. So I, I think we're we're pretty lucky to have the game advancing and continuing to get better and better um, every single year. Kind of, it just popped in my head when you said something. And, you know, I have a young daughter and I coached girls basketball. Could you appreciate kind of in the moment that it was two women coaching the division one state championship game this year? You know, um, I'm really bad at recognizing things like that. And in, in the moment. So when somebody brings it up, I'm like, Oh my gosh, wow. That, that is really cool. Um, and some, and that was brought up before the game, um, the the couple days before the game. Um, and since then I had taken more pause to kind of think about it more and it is very cool. And it is, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a cool piece of cool piece of history. Uh, it's too bad that there's been such a long stretch, I guess, mm-hmm. with their, their, what was it? 33 years. I think yeah. they said something like that since they, since there had been two female um, head coaches. Um, hopefully that um, that time frame will be shortened with more and more women getting involved. And I think we're seeing that now. I think we're seeing, right. Um, just looking around the state in my short time here back in Vermont, the number of female officials, that are are out on the court right now has grown um, considerably. Uh, I don't remember having female officials when I was certainly playing in the state. So it's really, really awesome to see that all across the country, but certainly right here in Vermont, there's some great female officials and there's some really, really good coaches out there um, that are women that, uh, that maybe they just haven't had a chance to get to a championship level game, but they're out there and they're on the sidelines and they're getting better um, uh, every single day too. So it was, um, yeah, I guess it's great to be a part of a part of that history of, of uh, getting it, um, getting two coaches on the sideline again. Um, I know that Uta had a, had a, um, you know, great game that night. It was a fun game to be a part of for sure. Uh, and we came up short, but um, you know, you, you can never go wrong with looking back on a year that ended up at Patrick gymnasium next to being at the odd, right. Still one of the best places in the state of Vermont is the Barry auditorium, but Patrick gymnasium is awesome as well. Well, this has been an absolute pleasure for me. And uh, you did win three state championships, but while I lost in the state championship, my team did win the 2004 Mona Garone Sportsmanship Award. So I Ah, got that. That is outstanding. That is good for you. That is good. 
Thank you so much. Great, great, great award for any school to win for sure. Thank you so much for giving me so much of your time. You're welcome. My pleasure. And I love what you're doing with the, the, I hope to take some time to listen to some more of the podcasts. I've seen the names on there and I've listened to quite a few of them. Um, uh, and, it, and it's great. And you've got a gamut of people, which is uh, which is really interesting for um, for basketball and for the state of Vermont. So thank you for all the time that you're putting into into the game. Thanks, everybody, for tuning into this week's episode. This was one I was definitely looking forward to from the very beginning of this show. And we had to wait a little while for the season get to get done before we could record it. And it was worth the wait, clearly. To go with today's episode, we're going to put up that 1988 Girls Division II Championship game between Oxbow and Randolph we talked about during this episode. The whole game will be up on our YouTube page, YouTube at Uncommon Media VT. Check it out. We'll have links everywhere so you can find it. Absolutely fantastic game. Make sure you check it out. I want to thank everybody for tuning into last week's show, which was obviously a little bit different. It was the most downloaded episode we've ever had in terms of its first week. And I got tons of great comments and people reaching out. Thank you guys so much for that. Keep up to date with everything on our Facebook page, No Fouls Pod. We have merch for sale right now. We'll put something up on the Facebook page. We have blue no Fouls podcast t-shirts. We have white hoodies. All you got to do, reach out. Let us know what you want. We'll get it shipped to you. $25 for a shirt. $40 for a hoodie. But that includes shipping. That is to your front door. So all you got to do, reach out to us on any of the socials. That about wraps things up for this week's episode. Come back next week. You've been listening to the No Fouls podcast a production of Uncommon Media.